This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. We're in a series of studies in this book. Today we are looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 26, Ecclesiastes 2. Verses 18 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let us pray. Lord, your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was not intentional, but merely providential that on this Sunday of Labor Day weekend, we would be talking about work only because the book of Ecclesiastes is talking here about work. And yet it's certainly a a timely subject for this weekend. As you read through these words, as we've just read, um, as someone noted, it's hard to believe that these words were written about 3,000 years ago. Uh, it sounds all too much like the, uh, the random thoughts of a businessman uh, unburdening his heart to a psychotherapist. And you look at the kind of words that come out here, the vocabulary that describes his description of his work, his view of his own labors, words like meaningless or vanity. Uh, chasing the wind, hated, toiled, despair, striving, sorrow, vexation. 
This is one's work. This is one's calling in life. Well, as you'll remember, the preacher, Kohelet, is trying to get a handle on what gives meaning to life. Particularly, if you look at life merely under the sun, just looking at this world, looking at the human race, ruling God out, shutting Him out of the picture, and just looking at life. Basically, a humanist point of view, as if reality, meaning, purpose begins and ends with man without taking God into consideration. Uh, What does life look like? And as we've said, many people are there. Some are there philosophically, philosophically committed humanists, even atheists, but many others, even some professing Christians, are there practically. While acknowledging God, while professing faith even in Christ, yet live as though life is just lived under the sun, as if there's nothing more than what we can see here in this world. And as the preacher in Ecclesiastes wrestles with these things, he's trying to find out if there is meaning, if one could really build a life away from, apart from God. He's tried being an intellectual, pursuing knowledge and wisdom. He's tried being a hedonist, living for the moment, grabbing pleasure wherever he can find it in all kinds of ways, both highbrow and lowbrow, wherever pleasure might be found. And every time he comes back to the same phrases, it's, it's vanity. It's just a mist. It's fleeting. It's passing. It's chasing after the wind. It's ultimately meaningless. Yes, you may find some pleasure in knowledge, you may find some pleasure in pleasure, but ultimately your life really does not mean anything. Ultimately you come up empty. Those are the kinds of things that he is struggling with here. And many people are today, especially thoughtful people who really think about life or sensitive to the pain of life, both in their own lives and in the world. Does it really mean anything? Is it really worth it? Where do I turn? Well, maybe, just maybe, meaning, significance, value is found in my work. Maybe it's found in my calling. Maybe it's found in what I do. After all, that's one of the first questions that people ask me when they meet me. What do you do? And so that must be important. Maybe that's where my meaning is. And value is found. And that's what the preacher wrestles with here in this passage as we look at it on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, Our work really does in many ways define us. It really does consume a great part of our lives. Maybe that's where meaning is found. Well, let's look at what he says here. And the first thing that he mentions right up front as he thinks about his work, thinks about his toil is he's driven back to the ultimate futility of work, to work's futility, its emptiness. Look at verses 18 and following. You know, remember in verse 17, he said, I hated life because I tried all of these things. It came up empty, especially here, wisdom. Well, immediately after verse 17, I hated life. We come to verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Now, before we look at what uh, this passage says, we do need to go back uh, to Genesis chapter 3. It is amazing uh, 
how much of the rest of Scripture, as well as the rest of, of history and life, our lives, your life, is understood when we understand Genesis 3. Genesis 3 explains the world we live in, the fall, sin. And you'll recall that as Adam and Eve stood and gave an account to the Lord, their creator, for what had happened, that, among other things, God says to Adam that there is a curse put on his work, on his labor. And it seems that the curse involves a diminishing of returns. In other words, there will be less return for the work done. And among the returns, in addition to growing good crops, he'll have thorns and thistles, and by the sweat of his brow he'll eke out a living until he himself is finally so ground down that he returns to the dust from which he came. Work in and of itself is not evil. It's not bad. It's not wrong. Work was part of their life in the garden before sin came into the picture. They were to take care of the garden. Adam was tasked with classifying the animals. Uh, The word is taxonomy, classification, studying them, naming them. He had work to do, and it was a delight, and he honored God in doing it. And it it was rewarding, it was delightful to him. But now that sin has come into the picture, now that God has placed this curse on the world and on his work, he would begin to receive much less return for much more effort expended. And it would be difficult and it would be hard. So we need to understand that work in and of itself is not evil. It's not bad. It's not a result of the fall. But the difficulty of work, the reason that the preacher uses the word toil here uh, is because of that curse. And by the way, the word translated here in the ESV, toil, has a similar connotation in Hebrew that our word does in English. If I talk about work, it's depending on your experience and the connotations you place on that word, it's somewhat neutral. But the word toil means something different, doesn't it? It's, it, it's similar to work, but it's not exactly the same. It implies that it's somewhat burdensome, that it's wearying. And that's exactly the word that is used here in Hebrew. It's a word for work that has the idea that it's something negative, that it's something burdensome, that it's something that wears you down. And so toil is a very apt translation. Now, he's talking about the futility of his work, of his toil, and for several reasons. One is that he has to leave it. He has to leave the fruit of it, the results of it. Uh, Look at what he says in verse 18. I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it. We'll just pause right there uh, and, and think about that for just a moment. The problem with our work and the problem with whatever success that we attain in this world is that ultimately we have to leave it. Eventually we have to leave it behind. The problem here overshadowing this, as it has overshadowed much else that we have studied in Ecclesiastes, is that eventually death swallows it all. Remember what he said about wisdom, about knowledge. You can live a foolish life, and you can live a life of great wisdom and discernment, but ultimately the fool and the sage are laid to rest in the ground. The same end claims them both. Well, so it is with work. You could have someone who works very hard, who achieves a great deal, 
uh, and yet ultimately they too will die. And for some it may be sooner rather than later. Back in the early 1980s, in the, uh, the heady early days of the PC, Dennis Barnhart, president of a company called Eagle Computer Incorporated, uh, producing PC clones uh, back in the early days of the, comp- of the, the personal computer. Uh, and he incorporated or started this company, incorporated it in May of 1982, and subsequently every quarter sales doubled until on June 8, 1983, the company went public and issued a uh, sale of stock. And on that day, Dennis Barnhart became a multi-millionaire from the sale of stock, the stock that he owned. It was a great day. It was also a bad day for him because that afternoon, uh, driving home in his red Ferrari about a block from his company headquarters, he, he wound up leaving the road. The car flew through the air, went through a guardrail, and crashed into the bottom of a ravine. Dennis Barnhart was uh, dead on arrival at the local hospital. He was 40 years old. The problem with whatever we accomplish in our work is that we have to leave it behind. Sooner or later, we will have to leave it behind, and for Kohelet, that is a very grievous thing to contemplate. Uh, As they say, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. But not only do you leave it behind, you have to leave it behind, perhaps, to someone who may be a fool. Look at verses 18 and 19. He said, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Now, it's unclear whether he has in mind a, his, his son, a direct descendant, or just the idea that in the abstract he's going to have to leave behind his wealth, his possessions, his accumulation, his company, his business, whatever it might be. Someone else is going to take that over. Someone else is going to come into possession of that. And everything that he worked so diligently, so carefully for, to build up, to preserve, to expand, to grow, Who knows whether that person to whom it ultimately falls will also lead in wisdom and care or wreck the whole thing because of his folly. Who knows? And so he says, this also is vanity. Not only does he have to leave it, not only does he have to leave it to someone who may be a fool, but he also has to leave it to someone who hasn't earned it, to someone who has not worked for it. Look at verse 20. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill, notice he's very diligent, very careful about what he's done here, with wisdom and knowledge and skill, must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Now, this can be true on several fronts. It can certainly be true in the le- on the level of, of work. You've built up a company. You've uh, made it profitable. You've made it grow. You've made it successful. And someone else comes along, perhaps after you're gone, or maybe if you sell it, and they take over, and they receive what you worked so hard for. 
then they didn't do much of anything for it, except maybe pay for it, possibly inherit it, whatever it might be. Or it could also work on the personal level. This is, this is the problem of the heir or heiress, is it not? Of someone who has worked diligently, worked so hard, brought themselves up maybe from next to nothing, uh, became very, very wealthy, and then leave it all to their children. Or if you're Leona Helmsley, to your cat, who also did not work for it. But whatever the case might be, the problem of an inheritance is that someone who did not earn it, cultivate it, work for it, sweat for it, be anxious over it, and eventually accumulate it, inherits it out of the blue. You know, become wealthy the old-fashioned way. You inherit it. Well, the problem is... They don't really have a sense of the value of it because they didn't work for it. And he says this is a great evil. In fact, another translation renders it, this is, this is an awful injustice that someone would have something that they did not work for. And all of this troubles him, that he has to leave it, that he has to leave what he's tended so carefully to someone who may be a rank fool, and that he's going to have to leave this to someone who did not work for it, who did not earn it, who did not put the toil in. To, uh, to get where he has got. And this is very difficult for him. Now, as we said, uh, traditionally, Ecclesiastes is ascribed to Solomon. Uh, other conservative scholars debate whether he was the author uh, or not. But certainly much of it is told from his point of view. So let's look at it from Solomon's point of view. Solomon, of course, following his father David, was king over Israel. Solomon, in a sense, uh, is the very man he describes here because it was David who suffered. It was David who eventually fought the enemies. It was David who consolidated the kingdom under one rule. And Solomon came in, really, and was king over uh, a time of great peace and great prosperity uh, in the nation of Israel. In fact, it really was kind of its golden age. It was at its acme in the days of the reign of Solomon. But then, after Solomon, came his son Rehoboam. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that Rehoboam didn't do so well. Uh, when Rehoboam became the king following uh, Solomon, he listened to foolish counsel. Uh, the older men counseled him to ease up, to be kind to the people, to treat them gently and well. Uh, and he reigned over them forever. But he listened to the counsel of others who incidentally were younger, and they encouraged him to crack down. You can't be weak. They'll take advantage of you. You've got to show them you're tough. You've got to show them you're harsh. And Solomon listened to that advice, and he split the kingdom. It divided, and it wound up in civil war. Later, Egypt attacked. Egypt uh, Shishak, the leader, came. They took the, uh, the gold shields away that Solomon had made, and Rehoboam uh, replaced them with brass shields, which was somewhat emblematic of his reign and what was to come. And uh, Judah, the southern kingdom that remained faithful to the line of David, fell into wickedness. And you can read about it in the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, as you read about what happened there. And so... The very thing that has happened here is, is lived out. In a sense, Solomon inherited what David had worked so hard for, and he tended it fairly well, although Solomon himself departed from the Lord later in his life. 
But then Rehoboam, who came after him, apparently was the fool who destroyed what had been attained. And he's weighed down just with the futility of it, of doing well, and yet what does it come to? And it troubles him greatly. Not only the futility, ultimately, of what we work for, but also uh, the difficulty of it. Look at verses 22 and 23. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? In other words, he basically says, what's the bottom line? What does it all come to? Verse 23. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. His days are full of sorrow, pain, we might say. Uh, Days full of vexation uh, or grief, as it could also be rendered. Then who, uh, in the workplace, even in, in the home, wherever it might be, we carry out the calling to which God has called us. Who has not known days like that? Days that are difficult, that bring sorrow, that bring pain. Days that are just irritating, that vex us, that annoy us. Maybe it's a situation, maybe it's a problem, maybe it's a co-worker or boss or employee, whatever it might be. We've all known days like that uh, that are just difficult. Well, we can't wait to get home, right, and enjoy being at home, get a good night's rest. Well, he covers that too. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Far from enjoying a good night's rest, he's plagued with insomnia. And for you children, insomnia is just a fancy word that means you can't sleep at night. Too busy worrying, too busy thinking, planning. Just can't seem to shut the mind down and get some actual rest. And so even even in the night, uh, it's still difficulty and painful. Uh, He was, as it writes it here, in an ever-tightening downward spiral of tension and anxiety. He says, what does it come to? What What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun. So the futility of work, the difficulty of work. Uh, But he has one other observation, and in fact, something of a turning point here in the book of Ecclesiastes, because for just a moment, life under the sun becomes a little bit bigger, because he actually brings God into the equation here. Ultimately, no one can live life under the sun without God, without falling into despair, without a nagging sense of the emptiness and the futility of it. But here is just a a ray of light. Look at verse 24. Works enjoyment. The futility of it, the difficulty of it, but here he talks about works enjoyment. Verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat Or who can have enjoyment. Enjoyment of life, eating and drinking, just the simple pleasures of life. Enjoyment of work, the toil, the work that God has given us to do is a gift from God. And that's what he says here. There's nothing better for a person to eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil because God gives us that. To be able to enjoy life for for what enjoyment there is in it. To be able to enjoy our work for what it is. These are gifts from God. But he also says... In verse 25, that apart from God, no one can really do that. Verse 25, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? 
The difficulty is that our labor, our work, our life's calling is not meant to give ultimate enjoyment. It's not meant to give ultimate satisfaction to the emptiness, to the hunger that we feel in our souls. And when we try to do that, it falls short. And so he says to be able to enjoy eating and drinking, to enjoy life for what it is, to be able to enjoy our work for what it is, is a gift from God. But apart from God, who can do that? Because apart from God, they have to try to find their meaning somewhere. That's exactly where Ecclesiastes is, where we've been. But ultimately, it lets us down. Ultimately, it falls short. Ultimately, it can't stand the weight, that kind of burden. But he goes on to make another observation here. Look at verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to the gift to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Now, if we want to take this and put it in modern categories or, or New Testament categories, we should say, uh, we would say that what, what he's saying here is to the Christian, to the one who is in Christ, therefore pleasing to him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, that is the one who's still living life apart from God, living life under the sun, he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the Christian, only to give to the one who pleases God. Now, what he's saying here is that the Christian ultimately derives the benefit of everyone's labor, even the non-Christian. Now, we talked about that a little bit when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As a Christian, one day it's all going to be ours in the new heavens and the new earth. But even that is brought up here as early as Ecclesiastes, that to the sinner, to the one who lives apart from God, apart from Christ, under the sun, he gathers, he collects, only to give to the one who pleases God. Now that will take place in the new heavens and the new earth, but sometimes it takes place before then. Think of a man, wealthy man, works hard to satisfy his family, satisfy his wife with a sprawling, uh, beautiful mansion. And turns out his wife doesn't even want to live there. The house has wood, stone, cabinets, carpets, elegant rooms, lavish, lavish furniture. Uh, and after a few days, his wife sighs and says, who needs it? So the man puts the house up for sale. The house is bought by a, at the time, small Christian organization that fills it and that uses it. And if you are ever out in Colorado Springs, you should go by and see Glen Airy, the headquarters for the Navigators. Barbara and I were there 10 years ago and uh, went through the building. And indeed, it is a beautiful mansion and uh, lovely grounds. And it is all used for the glory of God and the extension of his kingdom to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. The problem with work is it's not designed to give us ultimate meaning. It's not intended to give us ultimate value or significance. Those things are to be found only in our relationship to the one true and living God whom we were created to know. Sin has broken that relationship, but our Father in Christ Jesus has restored it so that we can know the God we were made to know. 
have a relationship that satisfies the deepest longings of our soul by our relationship with him. You see, work simply cannot bear the weight of being an idol. Work cannot bear the weight of being to us God. It was never meant to, never designed to. People who pursue their meaning, their value, their identity, their significance in their work will come up empty every time. But people who pursue their meaning, their value, their identity in Christ will find it. And along with that, they will also find they were able to enjoy their work, enjoy it for what it is, enjoy their calling for what it is, for the joys and satisfaction, along with the difficulties that it can give as it's done for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our life, that you give us significance that you give everything that we do meaning. Father, we thank you for the callings to which you have called us in the workplace, in school, in the home. And Father, we pray that we would do these tasks well, whether we are paid for them or not, that we would try to do everything that we do for the glory of God. But Father, help us always to find our value and our meaning and our significance. Help us always to worship You only. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.